Hi guys, um, welcome back to another episode of Sustainability in the Sea, a podcast for ocean people hosted and produced by the Conservationist Collective. I am just like feeling so calm after editing and producing this episode because this conversation is probably one of the best ones that I have had in my life. Um, being able to sit people that you look up to down and ask them the questions you've always had is always something that I think um, kind of hits different. So let me just set the stage. Um, for those of you that haven't heard of the blue mind, the blue mind theory is research back science and understanding about the ways that water can improve your mental health, um, your well-being, the ways that it can improve your mood. And um, the blue mind theory, in addition to blue mind theory, there's also blue mind philosophy and all of these things. And so um, the Blue Mind Theory as a book, which I've linked in the show notes, was written by marine biologist and conservationist, um, Dr. Jay Nichols. And he, we sit him down today and talk all about the Blue Mind Theory. And um, this will be coming out in, in the first part of February, 2023. And I will have completed 31 days of my own personal Blue Mind Challenge that I did for the entire month of January, where I spent time with the ocean, on the ocean, or underwater every day for the entire month. And you'll hear me reference that in the interview, but um, I've learned so much in this process and documented it all um, in short form through TikTok and then by week on our YouTube, which I'll also link in the show notes. So if you have extra um, curiosity after this conversation about what this looks like on a personal level, um, check those out. And I would really, really highly recommend his book and other podcasts that he's been on. So let's get into it. I hope you learned so much and thanks for listening to Sustainability in the Sea. Welcome Jay to Sustainability in the Sea. Hey, how you doing? Good to, good to hang out with you and talk ocean. <laughs> Yeah, talk ocean. It's always a good day when you get to talk ocean with fellow ocean lovers. Um, where are you joining us from? Well, I am in the middle of the Mojave Desert uh, <laughs> on my way back to back home, got a cross country trip. And um, it's sort of strange. I, I feel like I'm in like Matt, a Mad Max movie at a b literally blown out gas station in the middle of the desert. So it's like the actual opposite of the ocean and and the topic of blue mind so extremely opposite of water where i am right now the mojave desert yeah thank you so much for joining us from the mojave desert then <laughs> yeah um so i have heard blue mind be thrown around so many different ways over the past few years it's really grown in um understanding from the general public is that kind of what you found too has it been like a upward trend or at some point did it just kind of start increasing exponentially yeah it's been a pretty steady kind of growth curve and i think um especially in the last few years with all of the stress that people are under going through the pandemic and other other global issues uh it's utility as the concept works for them personally and so that's definitely has led to in, increase awareness of the idea. You know, so you look at it over the past decade, and I think your observation is spot on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, when it comes to your um, relationship with water, was there like a formative experience during your, like, where did you grow up? Did you grow up near water? And was there something that kind of shaped you where you maybe had an aha moment? Or was it like a series of things that kind of got you to this, I guess, journey? Yeah, I can I can look back and say that I, I was, in terms of water, very privileged. Um, I kind of learned to swim as a, at a young age, and then it was just game on, and um, in all in all forms. So pools and beaches and lakes and you know fishing and swimming and diving, and surfing and boating. Um, not a, not in a fancy way, just in a very you know regular way. Uh, and so it's more recently that I've realized how really awesome and fortunate that is and that not everybody has that experience. And, um, and also that drives, I think that drives the work because I've met so many people that never learned to swim and as a result feel disconnected from the blue parts of the planet, which is most of the planet. And so that the, the challenge is how do we solve for that? How do mm -hmm. we make um access for all you know make blue mind common knowledge in common practice and that's really the driver but for me i guess i look thinking back on my childhood i was a pretty shy kid um i was adopted uh i had big big questions about who i was where i was from um you know people refer to kids like that as introverts now and it's not not so much of a stigma it's sort of a badge of honor for some people, but back then it wasn't really thought of that way. I was like, why are you so shy? What's wrong with you? <laughs> uh, but in the water, I, I just felt better. You know, anytime I got underwater, life was better. I was quieter. Um, I stuttered on land. I'd never stuttered underwater because <laughs> you can't, <laughs> you don't, you don't get to talk underwater and people don't ask you questions. Um, and so I kind of had that, I guess the therapeutic benefit early on, I never, I didn't connect the dots on the science, of course, as I was a kid, but I knew I felt better. I knew that was my happy place. And then became a marine biologist because I wanted to do work that aligned with that happy place. Uh, and then recognize that, you know, there are people like us all over the place that agree with that, that sentiment, that feeling. Um, and I wanted to learn more about the science of what we now call blue mind. So that's kind of how it began, kind of out of a, a personal insight that led to my career and my, mm -hmm. my lifelong passion. And um, that's really what led to writing a book about it and doing more research about it. That's the, that's the short, quick version of it. It feels like everyone that we interview about on this podcast specifically has this it might not be like many experiences um, when they're younger, but at least one that um, either really excited them or taught them something about themselves. Um, it could have been in the water. It could have been um, at an aquarium or something like that. And then they kind of just ran with it and were brave enough to run with it. And so since a lot of the folks that listen are interested in making marine conservation, marine science and marine biology a career. Um, I would love to talk about that just for just for a question or two about what your journey um, to pursue marine biology looked like. Um, I know that you're uh, based out of California now. Were you 
based out of California during your schooling for your technical schooling for marine science? Well, I, I studied biology and Spanish as an undergrad in Indiana, far from mm -hmm. the ocean, uh, but explored all of the waters of the Midwest as a college student. So it was always about the water. Then I went on to a master's degree at Duke University uh, in natural resources, economics and policy, more of that side of, of things. Um, spent a lot of time at the Marine Lab on the coast. Uh, and then out to the desert, University of Arizona for my PhD in Me evolutionary too. biology. All right, it's it's kind of makes sense. Uh, yeah. To, um, and I spent a lot of time in Mexico, you know, crossing the border and going to the ocean uh, in the Sea of Cortez, the Gulf of California. Um, so that was that's those are some of the nuts and bolts of my academic journey. Um, but I think the uh, the insight that I would share with people who are embarking on or in the midst of or figuring out their 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 academic journey would be that, well, when I was in school, we were told to leave those personal motivating stories about our passion. We were told to check that at the door, that that really didn't have a place. It really was irrelevant. And what I find, like you, that is what's driving all of us. Nothing else. It's not money. It's not fame. It's not glory. It's not force. Um, we overcome lots of challenges to do this work purely because we are so deeply personally, emotionally wired into it. And that doesn't come from nowhere. It comes from somewhere. And the more we understand where it comes from and how to make more of it, the better the world will be mm -hmm. uh, straight up. So the people who are staying up all night long, saving sea turtles uh, are not doing it because um, it's a great salary or they're not doing it because they're being forced to do it. They're unstoppable for another reason. It's, it's love, really. Mm -hmm. But we're not allowed to talk about love <laughs> as yeah. scientists, as serious people. So we dial that out. And when I speak to students and graduate students um, formally, when I'm invited by universities to speak to students, that's what we talk about. And the reason why they want to talk about it is because they don't get to talk about it. So I'll give you one example. I, was, I went back to Duke and met with a group of masters and PhD students. And we just got together in a room. We went around, went around the room and everybody shared kind of their core from the heart. Why are you here? Like, why are you really here? Not because you, you think there are some big challenges that you would like to contribute to solving, but deeper than that. And everybody went around the room and there was this cohort of new graduate students. They looked at each other and they said, I didn't know that about these people who I'm spending my life with. I'm in class with them. We're on the ocean together. We're in some cases trust, trusting our lives to each other. They're in the same cohort. They're going through it together. And they didn't know this about each other. Mm -hmm. And that's a, that would have been a big miss. But we, we cleared that up by just saying, hey, let's take an hour and go deep into our hearts and really describe what, like, what, what, why are you sitting in this room? Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's an important thing to put out there don't don't be shy about what's driving you because when when things get hard and you get denied a grant five six seven eight times in a row but you know the work is good the only thing that will keep you going is that is that deep thing in your heart in your soul in your in your gut and so that the system can try to squeeze that out of you
um, is a tragedy. And because mm-hmm. that's the thing that will carry you through or that, you know, you're on a turtle beach late at night and the mosquitoes or you can swim through the mosquitoes and there you don't even know if there are any beans left back in camp for a late dinner or breakfast. And the work is hard and you're dedicated. And the thing that's going to get you through is is that deep grit that comes from you know the love um rather than than the fear or the force Mm -hmm. uh or like a striving for financial gain Mm -hmm. uh it's something else and so that's that's the thing that's always been kind of like the the fire in my belly i guess Mm -hmm. i would say like i i knew that the work i did with sea turtles needed to happen even though there was there were no grants to do it or everybody thought it was too hard and a new blue mind needed to happen even though i was zero for 10 on my first grant first 10 grant proposals zero for 10 like that was rough um made me think okay this is a really bad idea according to my peers according to the foundations the agencies but it, we we kept going because there was something kind of deeper Uh, inside of us that said you know this is good to do don't stop so um and that's kind of always i mean today is mlk day and so you know i think it's an apt comparison um social justice and environmental environmental justice uh follow many of the same paths Mm -hmm. and you know if the people who really really had it hard you know, in the sixties said, wow, this is too hard. Let's, let's not do it. There's no money in social justice. Let's quit. Um, the government agencies don't think it's important. Maybe it's not important. Um, wow. The world would be different, but no, they, they, they had that fire and they put up with serious punishment and hardship and, mm-hmm. and hate. And here we are today celebrating the legacy uh of one great guy who represents many men and women so i I think it's it's similar um in many ways environmental justice and social justice uh, movements yeah i think that also you know what you said about um uh, the in your heart of hearts your passions driving you when you connect with that with another person um you end up being able to see them from a different light, work better with them. It humanizes the field in a way that I think we're moving towards a more blended um, intersectional way to view marine science. It's now um, more creative than it was. It's more, there's more niches and um, it really benefits everyone to be brave enough to be vulnerable about that story. And um, I, I mean, I personally, transition from an academia-based background to um, marine conservation media because I believe that it's needed for everyone else. And I think that that story that you just shared about zero for 10 grants on Blue Mind, you know, <laughs> that's a story of in- of innovation. Innovators always, um, what you know inside that it's needed, but it might take a little bit for others to catch up. And um, we need people doing that. And living in that space before people catch up for us to push um, for progress in all sectors, in social justice and environmental justice as well. And um, I mean, was there ever a time where you 
we're talking to your colleagues, maybe your your loved ones, and we're saying to yourself, like, what what are we gonna do if I if we can't should should we give up? Was there ever, I guess, a close call for you? All the time. Like I <laughs> I would say uh, I would be lying if I portrayed myself as like just completely solid in that regard. I um, and I don't know about just completely quitting, but the the this financial stress and you know when you when your tanks feel drained like every single tank that you have available emotionally physically socially spiritually you know you you know financially that when you feel like you've drained all your tanks but you still keep going even at like on your hands and knees crawling um you know it's not like oh, I'm, I'm just gonna give up but you question it and you, and then, and you maybe pause. And, um, we started doing Airbnb with our house to create income, like all these, fortunately, all these other tools that you may be able to use, you know, like used to be like, maybe you get a job as a bartender at night so that you can do the thing you really want to do during the daytime. Mm -hmm. Um, and you just kind of keep going. Uh, and then, and really, I think also check in on like, okay, is this a bad idea? I mean, straight up, like, am I completely delusional? Am I draining my tanks for no reason? You, you know, you really want to kind of gut check on that. And that's good to know. Like if you go through those gut checks and learn about your gut and you learn to trust your gut or not trust it, you know, when it feels different ways, um, but, you know, the thing that kind of has kept me going is just when at those low points, I'll get an email from someone who say, I, somebody gave me your book, I read it, and it straight up saved my life. And I'm crying. I'm reading the message. And, and they're, they're not embellishing. They're just like, I was in a bad place. I read your book. I reconnected with my water. And it, it legitimately saved my life. And or changed my life got me out of the ditch or reestablished my relationship with somebody I care about or help me help my uh, uh, autistic son or daughter or all these just personal individual human experiences. And then you read something like that and you go, okay, something's, this is working. Mm -hmm. Or I'll meet somebody and like, I got a blue marble from you 10 years ago. And it's still in my pocket and I keep it in my pocket every day. And it helps me work for the water. Mm -hmm. I go, wow, that's, that's nuts. Like that's, you know, I didn't know that. And thank you for telling me because I need, that's like a little bit of, a little bit of fuel for my tank. Um, so those things happen, you know, it's, it's nice to have positive feedback and, and see results, yeah. you know, to hear you say, wow, blue mind has kind of gone big that makes me feel really good. Like that'll keep, that'll get me through this drive across the desert here, you know, it has, uh, <laughs> it has. and that, you know, and, and it, what, and it's not we've never gotten a grant, zero grants. <laughs> and we've never gotten a big, big corporate sponsor. And we've never gotten the big UN, you know, buy-in and, and, but it's still, it's sort of an interesting case study of how you create actual change um, at a, at a very grassroots level, because the idea itself is, is, is that good? Is that mm -hmm. useful? 
it isn't, hey, here's a ton of money, convince people of this thing. Um, it's like, here's the idea I'm telling you, and then you're going to tell somebody and they're going to tell somebody and really has been like that. And that, that, that does take a little more time. Yeah. Um, never, never bought an ad to sell books, never paid advertising or, um, and not saying that that's bad. I'm sure that's a great way to get the mm -hmm. word out, but haven't had the resources to do that. And, um, it's become blue mind is becoming common knowledge. And I think that is even stronger than policy um, yeah. and less, less malleable and less changeable when something becomes common knowledge. Like when you know about your blue mind and you don't even know how you know about it, but you know, and it's important and you get it. And I know that, you know, and you know that I know we're starting our conversation here rather mm -hmm. than down here. And that's, that's the power of common knowledge. And well, I think it supersedes laws and policy, really. I think that also one of the reasons why it's been so successfully moving through in a grassroots way is because it's, it's immediately confirmed on a personal level if you just do it. So um, I, I think that you don't have to necessarily be underwater every day, but people can immediately relate to feelings of calmness, um, feelings of peace when they're near any form of water. Um, and I guess for those listening that may have never heard of the blue mind theory, can we break it down really briefly um, as to, I guess, yeah, what your 30 second to a minute overview would yeah. be if people have never heard of it? Yeah. Well, so yeah, blue mind is just a phrase, it's a two words that describes, um, the I would say universal feeling that we get we humans, but may even go beyond humans. By the way, side note, um, wow. when we're near, in, on, or underwater, so it's it's the feeling you get. It's a, a calm, more focused, more centered, um, sometimes more compassionate. Uh, for some people, more creative. All these more C words, yeah. more present, um, more more coherent, more content. Another word for happiness. Uh, when you're mindfully by the water, you know, when the water is coming, flooding into your basement, that's not blue mind or coming through your ceiling or like wiping your town away. That's not what we're talking about. Uh, we're talking about water that you want to be near or, or in. Mm -hmm. And as water-based organisms, which we are biologically on a water-based planet, which is where we live, this makes perfect sense. Evolutionarily, uh, physiologically and psychologically. And so blue mind is the word that describes this, this complex set of emotions, um, but also the field of research and practical applications of that research mm -hmm. uh, in, in many realms from therapeutic pur purposes um, to just enhancing your, your creativity. Uh, there are musicians who practice blue mind and swear it gives them their creativity uh, Pharrell Williams, Beyonce, to name a few. There are elite athletes who practice Blue Mind, and they say it gets them back in the game. When they've had a bad stretch, they go to the ocean, they get on their boat, or they go for a swim, and then they come back, reset. Mm -hmm. Or they go for a float in a float tank. Um, and I'm not, I'm not just talking about surfers and divers, but basketball players who swear by it. Uh, 
And so there are lots of applications, therapeutic applications, but sort of day-to-day functional performance-based applications. Um, there are applications to, to design, des- you know, interior designs, exterior designs, public space design. Um, oh, I haven't thought there- of it that way. Yeah, yeah. Blue Mind informs the way you lay out your community, the way you lay out your living space, uh, your office. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can enhance well-being, workplace well-being, and productivity by bringing Blue Mind, a Blue Mind sensibility to your design. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you can't. Everybody can't work by the ocean, but you can bring ocean elements or water elements, like you have done right behind you there. Yeah, uh, for, an those, aquarium. for those listening, there's an aquarium uh, in the room. In the um, in the work and... in the workroom, so that when we need a second, we can just go look at what they're up to. Yeah, right, and, and that works. And it, you know, and I think you know, you understand, or and listeners will understand that a photograph of an ocean is not a, a straight replacement for the ocean, and right. a, and a, an aquarium is not a replacement for a lake. Um, so there's not a there's not a digital replacement for the great outdoors. We're not av- advocating for that. But it is one of the tools in our toolkit for Blue Mind. There are lots of ways we can bring it into our into everyday life. Um, it isn't just about waiting for your vacation or your weekend um, when you can get away. Yeah. Yeah. I um, we spoke last month for those listening about ways to bring Blue Mind to more people. And um, since then, I've been doing this Blue Mind challenge where I live near the water. Um, I'm very lucky to do so in, on the island of Oahu. And um, I've been going to the ocean in, on, or near the water every day for the entire month of January is the challenge. And so I guess we're on day 16. And um, what I've learned in this, I, 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 I Blue Mind resonated with me the first time I heard about it, but was I I was confronted with what well, was I was actually practicing it. And so this challenge was to teach me what practicing could do for me. And what I have learned so far, even in just 16 days is um, the effects are nearly immediate for me. Um, And on the days when it's the hardest to go um, are the days that it's the most relieving and also the most essential for me to go. And so Mm -hmm. there's been handful of days where I just am out of time and I'm just driving up to a boat ramp at night um, and just getting outside and and sitting by the water for, you know, 10 minutes because that's all I have. And even that is like been so transformational for me. And like um, I've had hectic work weeks in the last week, planning events and things like that. And I'm realizing that this is now a tool that I understand on a personal level to, you know, it, it can just be five minutes. If I can have five minutes, that's, I, I can, I can go. It doesn't have to be during the day. It doesn't have to be underwater. I used to think I needed to go surfing or diving to access it. And really at the end of the day, on some, some days I just need to hear the waves. And um, I have learned so much about my own blue mind relationship with blue mind in these past two weeks. And I can understand that it's probably individual for every person um, about what works and what doesn't work. And, you know, I have access to, to seawater where I live, but um, for those that might want to do a challenge like that or, or access other types, I know you call that wild water. Um, what are some other types of ways to tap into the, 
to Blue Mind. Um, if you maybe live 45 minutes or you're where you are, you're in the Mojave Desert and it's not, it's not near you right now. Well, so first I, I, I want to say your personal experience, how beautiful that, that story is. And you're halfway through and you basically summarize the entire book <laughs> through the lens of your personal experience. Mm -hmm. And not, no, and not only that, you've summarized all of the research, like what you just said, painted a perf a beautiful personal picture of the, the body of research on Blue Mind, which says that you, sh you should do it wherever you are and do it regularly. And even if it's just five minutes, do that. It doesn't have to be a surf or a dive or an epic journey. Just go do something. And also what the research says that you just said is that when you need it most, the needle moves the furthest. So the people who need Blue Mind the most are the ones we see experience the greatest benefit. And so on the days where you feel like you need it most, you feel the needle move the most, right? That's yeah. just, that's a powerful insight just to know for yourself. Um, but your question, so there's, there is wild water. That's the lakes, the rivers, the oceans, the creeks, the rain, the clouds, um, the ice, the snow, the fog. That's all water in all of its, all of its states in its wild form. But then there's domestic water. And that's the water that's in the, in the tubes and the tanks and the tubs and the cisterns. So any water that's coming through sort of management into our lives and then back out. So in your bathroom, in a pool, in a spa, in a hot tub. Uh, in a shower, a hose, that's domestic water. And that is very appealing therapeutically. And it's not the same as wild water. It's, it's different, but also useful. Um, another category is, um, is virtual water. And virtual water is not VR headsets, but it's any place water is depicted where water is not physically present. So that could be artwork, a song, a poem, a photograph, a film, um, any any written or um, recorded version of the water. If you take your your smartphone and open the voicemail uh, recording, voice memo recording app, and record the surf, the waves, the creek, the rain, and then listen to that later when you can't be at the water. That's oh. the virtual water. So you can it makes it makes Blue Mind portable, right? It makes that feeling of awe and wonder and calmness. Uh, portable. So virtual water is artistic uh, representations of water. Um, and then there's this uh, other category I call urban water. And that might be the fountains uh, in your city or your town, the urban waterfronts. So the built environment, it's not wild water, but it's not entirely domesticated. So it's kind of in the city and it's public space. And it's the water that's moving through and around the city or your town. So sitting by the fountain, or sitting at the waterfront downtown at a, a work when you take a break or a lunch break from work and you can go outside and sit, sit by the water. That's urban, urban water. And that's very accessible to people who may not have access to you know, wild, pristine lakes, rivers, oceans. Um, and then the last category which is just the most um, ubiquitous is imaginary water. So when you're sitting in uh, a crowded room and you can close your eyes and think about what you did last week underwater and it transports you there. It's not, it's not a substitute, 
but it's your memory. It's your incredible brain at work, your imagination, your memory, your creativity, your ability to close your eyes and almost feel the water all over your body and hear it and taste it and smell it. And, you know, we love telling water stories to each other and taking our, taking our friends on those journeys verbally in our imaginations. Right. So that's good storytelling. Mm -hmm. So stories about water and, and, um, and even, you know, even on a personal level, being able to close your eyes and transport yourself there in, in your memory, in your imagination. And so that's imaginary water. So those are the five forms of water. And at any point in any place, at any time in your life, any time of day, you can access your blue mind. So sometimes I hear from people, well, I, I live, uh, I live in Arizona. I live in the Mojave Desert. I live in Oklahoma. I live far away from the ocean. We don't have much water. What do I do? Well, no problem. We got you, we got you covered. Let's, let's talk through this in your life. So maybe the ocean is on your list, but it's maybe a once in a lifetime or a once a year kind of thing. Um, but there are probably some lakes or rivers. There's probably some water in your house. Um, maybe there's some water um, that you can use therapeutically in your community. And so let's make your list and create your blue scription for your life. So it gets very personal. Uh, and I love doing, I love going through that process with people and helping them kind of realize that there isn't a scarcity of blue mind. Uh, it's, it's kind of on, on each of us to figure out our own, our own blue scription. And then your, your example is so strong, then do it, make it a priority, do it every day for a month or for a week or whatever you feel like can get you started. And then you build those new habits. And then you start thinking when you're a little stressed, your one of your go-to responses is how do I get a little blue mind? Cause I know that works because I practiced it for a month and I, I know that stuff works. Yeah. And so you start building a, a, a practice and wherever you are in the world, including here in the Mojave desert, I think you could put it into, into good use. Yeah. I mean, I love that you broke down all those examples because I think that at least folks can relate to at least one of those. Like say you work in person at an office, you can choose to have a different place where you have your lunch. You can go sit by the fountain instead of um, indoors. And those types of easy things can make your life so much so much more peaceful. It could, it could change your productivity for the whole rest of the day. And I think that um, it, I, I really actually love that Blue Mind becomes tailored to the needs of each individual because then it's actually up to you to, to figure out your own personal story. And then we have this beautiful mosaic of different ways to access the benefits of water. Um, one question that came up for me that I actually couldn't couldn't find the answer to um, is you obviously have a background um, in science and academia and research and protected species. Um, what was the bridge to something that's more focused in psychology and um, like mindset and, and that type? Was it a mentor? Was it a, a paper that you read or was it simply just gut intuition? I, kind of a, kind of a combination of all those things. I, 
um, deeply involved in ocean conservation, endangered species, plastic pollution, marine protected air, you name it, just sort of, you know, neck deep in the work of oceans, ocean conservation. And always noticed, well, two things. I always noticed, I was noticing there was a lot of gloom and doom. Yeah. And, and that scaring people was not working. And um, it, it like, you can scare people and you can make them run about 30 feet and then they get tired and they get cramped and then they stop and then they get sore and then you have to scare them again. They maybe run 20 feet and maybe they jump. Then you scare them again and now they're kind of fatigued and they can only run 10 feet. But if you motivate people through love, they, you can't stop them. They'll run around the world twice without 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 breathing <laughs> um and so I, I i was noticing that there was a lot of gloom and doom a lot of fear fear-based communication and also noticed that whenever i was at the water i felt better and that whenever my colleagues were at the water they felt better and so i went looking for research on the neuropsychology of our relationship with water like i was reading uh kind of on, on the side about music, music-based therapy. Your brain on music was a, an emerging theme that I was familiar with from some previous work. And so I wanted to read a book about your brain on water, and then I wanted to apply it to the problem solving I was engaged in. And I couldn't find the book that I wanted to read and uh, tried to convince some people that they should write it so that you know I could read it and share it with my colleagues. And I failed to convince anybody that they should write it. But um, I pitched it to a guy named Dr. Oliver, Sa Oliver Sachs. He was a late, late great neurologist, water lover, beautiful writer, incredible intellect, um, neurologist, expert on the brain and behavior and clinical disorders, and just a fascinating mentor of a guy. And, you know, importantly, a water lover and a music lover, lifelong water lover. And I pitched the idea to him. I really thought it would be great if he wrote the, this book that I had in mind. And then I would help, and then I could read it, and then I could use it. Um, and this is the kind of hinge point of the story. He said, it's a fine idea. You do it. And I remember that just landed like it wasn't a suggestion it wasn't a nudge it wasn't just like it wasn't a, a dismissal it was a mandate like a, like a command yeah. and basically i all i could think in you know my brain just said you know i probably said it out loud yes sir yeah and five years later i brought a book called blue mind to him in new york signed it and a year later he passed away um but that's how it happened. So I didn't, I didn't go, I didn't set out to write a book about the brain on, or, you know, human behavior and water, the neuropsychology and water. Um, I set out to read it and just, it ended up being that I had to write it before I could read it. And <laughs> that took five years. <laughs> and so five years to write it. And then it's, it'd been nine years since it was published. Um, so these things take time, right? And all with kind of a headwind from my colleagues saying you're committing career suicide, you shouldn't 
you should keep doing the work you were doing. You got grants for that. You're not getting any grants for this. You, you know, the eyeball rolling. And, um, but here we are talking about it. And so thanks to Oliver Sacks, I would say uh, that wow. this, this conversation exists. Isn't it beautiful mm -hmm. that you just need really one person to believe in you and your idea for you to say, oh, that's all I really needed. I knew it inside. I just needed maybe, yeah. maybe someone I trusted or, or looked up to, to also see it the way I see it. Yeah. And you know, it, it, what's beautiful about that is when you think that's maybe sometimes that's your job mm -hmm. in the lives of others who have yes. an idea and they tell you their idea and maybe they're not getting traction, but you listen and help them find, find, you know, the core value in the concept and, mm -hmm. Um, and that, the, the, that's a mentoring role, uh, that can be as simple as listening, affirming, encouraging. It doesn't have to be a multi-year, you know, in the case of Oliver Sacks, he just, he said that. And then five years later, I delivered the book. It wasn't yeah. like it was a hand, a hand holding process. Um, it's like but, six words. He said six words to you and then you wrote the book. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> The power of six words. Maybe yeah. that's another book someday. Is, is, uh... <laughs> well, I, I too am an ocean conservationist um, in all forms of the word, but I believe that I, I have a, a question before we get into our last question, which is, do you believe that us, I guess, as communicators or conservationists um, need to tie issues facing our ocean, challenges facing our ocean back to the personal level to get a certain to get the larger demographic to to care um because when i was younger earlier in my career it felt like i would discuss a challenge and people would recognize it was bad say it was an oil spill but um there's something maybe a little bit different when it hits home on your backyard or your beach or something like that and so mm -hmm. what is your opinion on on tailoring communication to be a to be a personal impact well, I, I think there's a lot of diversity within these approaches and that there isn't one recipe that describes how to do it. Mm -hmm. So if you're working to try to change corporate practices, that might might look a little bit different than, uh, say, working with a community of fishers to adjust, uh, you know, among, say, 100 people. In a, in a rural fishing community that will look different, necessarily different. Um, if you're really working hard to create a policy solution that will look different than creating a, a technical solution that needs innovation and research. So it's kind of an, kind of an all of the above. Um, I don't think you can really go wrong um, by understanding the science of human behavior in all of those realms. And I think you can really go off the rails if you don't understand the science of human behavior. So a simple way of putting that is that conservation work or social change work is behavior, human behavior change. It isn't turtle behavior change. Uh, it isn't changing the climate, like magically saying, hey, climate, you need to change. It is human behavior change. So if you don't understand human behavior, the chances that you will succeed at that endeavor drop 
precipitously. Um, if you have an organization and nobody on your board or your staff um, has insight into human behavior, the drivers uh, and the function of human behavior, even the neurophysiology of human behavior, your chances of being successful drop tremendously. So I think that's probably the like the core of the answer. Um, and it turns out we are hardwired as human beings through hundreds of thousands of years to connect with each other, connect with our surroundings, very personally, emotionally, and connect with powerful storytelling because it kept us alive for a very long time. We didn't have paper or pencils or smartphones or internet or recording devices or even musical instruments, very simple musical instruments for most of human history, but we had our stories. So the ability to transmit a story to one another clearly, effectively, that contained information about whether you're going to live or die and make that story stick and go viral. Uh, they didn't say that back then, but that's how it worked. That was a matter of life and death. And so that's why storytelling is so important now for modern humans. It's been exploited to sell sugar water, like a powerful <laughs> story about mean Joe Green giving his jersey to a kid and, and, the, and the kid gives him a Coke. Like this is a classic Coke commercial. That was a cool <laughs> story. It was like, it got you in the heart. And they use that emotional storytelling to sell you addictive sugar water, <laughs> right? So what if we use emotional storytelling to quote unquote sell like saving the ocean? Exactly. Well, that's a good idea. Really good idea. I think. <laughs> I so, think so too. Yeah, wherever we are, whatever, whatever format, whether you're in a you know a, a corporate meeting or a UN meeting or a you know small town fishing community meeting, uh, or around the table with your family, the ability to tell a personal, resonant, authentic, and I'm going to say leave the bullshit out. Just you know tell tell a really clear story make make sure it's authentic make sure you're not you know faking it because people can tell when you're faking it whether they you know it's like the subconscious micro emotional response to a fake story um so find it within you and share that and people may not care about the ocean but if they care about you uh they'll they'll care about the ocean because they care about you because they love you and so that's a big piece of it too if you're if you're a lovable, likable, kind person, um, people might just say, "Hey, I don't, I don't care about turtles the way you do. Um, you're a sea turtle freak. I'm just kind of not that into it, but I like you, so I think I'll do the thing that will help save turtles because I think you're you're pretty cool. So that's part of it as well. Um, that's a beautiful yeah. message because I think it's also a direction that's being carved out right now in ocean science and conservation. Is how are you telling stories? How are you? Um, raising the platform for voices and things like that. Um, our, la our last question, which is what I ask every single guest is um, if you could, you know, say one thing to, you know, the most powerful people in the world or put something on a billboard where every single person would see it, what would that message be? Well, I, I um, when I wrote Blue Mind, I got to the end of it and I remember the day, the moment, the moment, exactly sitting on a couch. I'd written 300 words 
And I wrote at the top of the page, all I really want to say is this, dot, dot, dot. And then I sat there and I was like, okay, what? A lot of research, many years to write this, this thing. And I'm down to the last few words. And I wrote, get in the water. And I'm going to, I'm going to stand by that. And that could mean get near the water. As you know, you said earlier, you might just be going to the edge of the water, but we'll just go with get in the water, get near the water. Just do that. Take some, you know, take somebody with you who needs it. Maybe it's easy. It's a, maybe it's your practice daily, but you, you probably know somebody who's stuck So take them with you. Uh, to the water and help them get unstuck maybe it could save literally could save their life could make their day a little better or a lot better um it could ripple out from there um and it it sounds overly simplistic but as you've you've shown so clearly through your your personal challenge you're learning so much you're you're a dedicated ocean person and through this two week this last two weeks you're learning deep things about the ocean and yourself mm -hmm. right and you, like you, i mean people might think you already knew everything but here you are having these important profound insightful moments profound that you're able yeah. able to share mm -hmm. with your peers with everybody you meet off into the future so it seems really simplistic but um i think if people just take the time daily to connect with their water uh, in all of its forms and then talk about it and share it and take others with them. So, um, that would be my message. If I had a billboard, it would say, get in the water, <laughs> uh, and then hashtag blue mind. And people would say, what the heck is that? And then maybe they become curious about it. Yeah. <laughs> and then they'll look it up. Oh, thank you so yeah. much, Jay, for coming on and my sharing pleasure. all of your stories where I learned so much, so much that I don't think was in the book. And I'm um, grateful for that. Likewise. Yeah. I yeah. learned so much from you as well. So I hope awesome. you have a beautiful rest of your road trip and um, yeah, <laughs> we'll be in touch. Uh, yeah. Have a yes. wonderful day. Excellent. All right. Thank you. Bye. Take good care. <laughs>